All right, so today we're going to uh, enter and complete uh, the ninth installment of our read-through of Nosolar Astral City. Today we're going to be covering chapters 35 through 40, six chapters, and um, the sequence will be 2-1-2-1, I believe, and... Uh, see more about um, uh, what what happens or the the life in Astral City, as well as a commentary on on soul evolution in third density, and principles for continued development, uh, spiritual development, which really is green, blue, indigo, particularly uh, love, wisdom, discernment, uh, compassion. Um, Perseverance, effort, um, and conforming uh, our our life with the objective spiritual path, as well as our own personal needs and desires, and that kind of integration of the personal and the transpersonal and the cosmic, um, giving giving appreciation or accepting where we are and where we need to go and um, where, you know, how we've gotten ourselves where we are and what we need is really important. So, Brent, anyway, you want to begin? Sure. Not a problem. Um, yes, indeed. Um, and you were correct. We're going to do, um, because it's such a long uh, long group of chapters to do, we're going to go through, we're going to, we're going to group the first two together, first two chapters, then do one chapter the next two chapters and the last one by itself. Uh, we last left Andre. He was assisting the Samaritans with the new arrivals uh, to Astral City from the lower zones. Oh, so here we go. Chapter 35, an unexpected meeting on page 155, if you're following along. We were busy putting away the patrolling equipment and seeing to the animals when I heard a friendly voice beside me. Hello, Andre. Fancy meeting you here. What a pleasant surprise. I turned around and was, and was surprised to recognize the Samaritan. He was a former acquaintance of ours on Earth. Yes, it was old Silver, Sil, Silveria, Silveria, who my father, the inflexible businessman, had reduced to utter ruin. I felt acutely embarrassed. I wanted to acknowledge his greeting to respond to his friendly approach but my memories made me speechless. In this new environment where countenances faithfully reflect one's true feelings, pretending was out of the question. Finally, Silveria himself noticed my discomfort and came to my help, saying, I didn't know you had come here. I had no idea I'd meet you here in the astral city. After this spontaneous kindness, I was able to shake his hand and murmur a few words of thanks. I wanted to offer an explanation for our past attitudes, but couldn't find the right words. I truly wished to apologize for my father's actions, which had forced him into disastrous insolvency. Standing there, it all came back in my mind. It was like seeing a film. I could hear his wife's tearful voice, trying to explain her husband's plight. He had been ill for a long time, and to make matters worse, two of their children had also fallen sick. Their expenses had risen, and medical attention cost so much money. I remember how the poor thing wept, begging for a respite. She spoke humbly, gazing pitifully at my mother, as if attempting to find some sympathy and help in another woman. 
I remember how earnestly my mother pleaded with my father to forget the documents he had signed, to refrain from any legal action. Father, accustomed to successful transactions on a large scale, could not understand the retailer's difficulties and was adamant. I recalled mother's helpless sympathy as Silviera's wife cheerfully took her leave and now father, indifferent to the suffering from him, scolded her severely and forbade her to interfere in business matters in the future. Thus there was nothing left for the poor family but to face utter financial ruin. Humbled and penniless, Silviera moved with his family, with his wife and children to a small town where they had probably led a life of hard work and poverty. I was anxious to apologize but did not know what to say. I had at that time encouraged father in his merciless attitude toward Silviera and had considered mother too sentimental in her views. I could hardly disguise my embarrassment. He patted me affectionately on the back and went on his way. Disconcerted, I went to Narcissa and told her of our, our unexpected meeting and the circumstances of our parting on earth. I anxiously awaited her advice. After listening carefully, she replied, don't be surprised at meeting old acquaintances here. I've already had the satisfaction of meeting most of the people here whom I had offended on earth. I realize now that it's a great blessing granted us by the Lord so that we may have new opportunities to take up friendships which have been interrupted, repairing the broken spirit links between us. Did you avail yourself of the chance offered you? What do you mean, Andre asked. Did you ask Silviera to forgive you? Remember, it's satisfying to be able to recognize our faults. You have by now acquired enough understanding to be your own judge. You have acknowledged yourself as an offender. Don't miss the opportunity to gain a friend. Go to Sil Silviera, my dear, and speak to him frankly. He is a busy person, and you may not get another chance soon. Don't be afraid. Whenever we follow our head, our heart in the practice and heart in the practice of good, Jesus grants us the help necessary to succeed. I no longer hesitated, but ran after Silviera, opening my heart to him and begging him to forgive both me and my father for our past errors. Silviera greatly touched, cut me short. Listen, Andre, is anybody exempt from fault? Don't you imagine that I led a, do you imagine that I led a blameless life? Besides, your father was a real teacher to me. My children and I are indebted to him for his valuable lessons in individual effort. Would we have made any spiritual progress were it not for this firm defense of his rights? Over here, we renew all our old concepts of life and realize that our supposed enemies are really our benefactors. Don't brood over these sad memories. Don't waste your time over this. I hope I'll soon have the pleasure of accompanying you in visiting your father. I shook his hand in silence, feeling a new joy in my soul. It seemed like a dark little corner of my heart had been suddenly flooded with a divine light forever. Moving on to chapter 36, The Dream. Work went on without interruption. Many sick patients needed urgent care and other perturbed entities required devoted attention. By evening, I had mastered the technique of magnetic passes, which I applied to many of the patients. Tobias returned to the chambers in the morning, and more, thorough, and more through generosity than any merit of mine, he encouraged me through his words of praise. Well done, Andre, he exclaimed. I'm going to mention you specifically to Minister Genesius, so you may receive your honor bonuses in double uh, for your first efforts. 
As I was about to express my thanks, I was surprised to see Laura and Lysias coming towards us. We simply had to come tell you personally how happy we all are. I followed you in spirit the entire night, and your first steps on the road of brotherly cooperation are a great joy to our family. I had the pleasure of giving the good news to Minister Clarence, who sends you his best wishes. Although Laura and Lysias invited me to return home with them to rest, Tobias offered me a room in the chambers where I could retire without delay. I felt an urgent need to sleep. Within a few minutes, I felt a sensation of lightness throughout my body. I had the impression of being carried away in a small boat. A silent man sat behind me at the helm. Ecstatic at the magnificence of the scenery, I let myself be carried along without a word. The little craft seemed to be sailing rapidly and at the same time gradually ascending. After a short time, I found myself in a marvelous harbor and heard a voice calling me lovingly from the pier. I could tell that voice from a thousand others. I disembarked with childlike zeal and, from, and a moment later, I was in my mother's arms. She led me to a beautiful forest where flowers seemed to retain light, offering a permanent feast of perfume and color. Luminous golden carpets stretched out under the rustling foliage of the great trees. I felt an ineffable sensation of peace and happiness, different from the dream states I had experienced on Earth. I was well aware that I had left my, my heavier body in my room in the chambers of rectification and was conscious of being in higher sphere. My notions of time and space were accurate and I felt the wealth of emotions I was experiencing grow more and more intense. After inspiring me with words of appreciation, my mother explained, I prayed fervently to Jesus that I might be granted the sublime satisfaction of your visit on your first day of useful service. Many of our companions on leaving the earth linger unproductively, awaiting miracles that never occur. Their fine possibilities reduced to expressions of parasitism. Some plead discouragement from loneliness. Others declare themselves maladjusted to the way in which they were called to serve the Lord. It is indispensable, Andre, to convert every opportunity in life into a reason to remember and serve God. I never before seen my mother's face so beautiful. Her eyes seemed to shine with a spiritual radiance, and her tender hands transmitted invigorating fluids and an indescribable sensation of bliss to me. Jesus' gospel, Andre, she continued, teaches us that there is greater joy in giving than in receiving. For our own happiness, let's learn to put this principle into practice in our daily efforts. Always give, my child, but above all, never forget to give of yourself in constructive tolerance, brotherly love, and divine understanding. Jesus gave more of himself to redeem mankind than all the earth's millionaires congregated in the fulfillment of material charity however sublime their efforts may have been. Work, my child, doing all the good you can. In all our spirit colonies, as on earth, live restless souls anxious for novelty and distraction. As often as possible, try to avoid those amusements and devote yourself to useful service, just as I, insignificant as I am, can see in spirit your efforts in the astral city while following your father's suffering in the lower zone. God sees and accompanies us all, from the most evolved messenger to the lowest beings in the scale of creation. My mother paused briefly, and I tried in vain to speak. She went on, in most spirit colonies, services are re remunerated 
with the hour bonus, which unites two essential factors. The bonus represents the possibility of receiving something from our brothers and co-workers or of recompensing someone sharing our efforts. However, the determination of the hour's value, just as on Earth, belongs exclusively to God. Because of our fallibility as evolving beings, errors may occur in awarding our bonuses. The real computation of the spirit hour is a private question between the worker and the divine forces of creation. That's why our experimental activities on the road to progress, starting at the physical sphere, undergo continuous daily modification. Mother became silent. As I dried my eyes, she put her arms around me. I lost consciousness of everything until I awoke in my room near the chamber's rectification with an invigorating sense of joy. And that's the end of both of those chapters. Scott, what was your thoughts on those chapters? Okay, uh, thanks. Um, so initially, in chapter 35, uh, where Dr. Louise is meeting the, uh, the man whom his father had, in a sense, economically ruined, Silveira, uh, uh, it's being presented to Dr. Louise as an opportunity... Uh, to make a kind of spiritual rectification. Uh, did you ask Silvera to forgive you? Is what's uh, being told to him, or being asked of him, I guess. But Laura, is that Laura who's talking to him? Or somebody? Uh, no, that was Narcissa, the Narcissa. Uh, nurse that he's learning from in the Chamber's Rectification. Okay. So, um, the point is that uh, one can be in the right legally um, and been in the wrong spiritually. One can be in the right in accord with wisdom and um, action without adequate love is seen as a distortion. Uh, <clears throat> it's uh, satisfying to be able to recognize our own faults, she says. Uh, you've acquired enough understanding to be your own judge. You've acknowledged yourself as the offender. How's the offender? Well, because he encouraged his father's hardline legally, financially, or le financial legally against Silvera, where Silvera, <clears throat> I guess, broke a contract or couldn't fulfill the agreement, and, you know, it was a financial mm, error, omission on his part. And even if the karma, every karma can be seen, every karmic sequence can be seen as perfect, even the bitterness of him and his family going to poverty in the small town, moving, um, at a certain level you can say he deserved that. Meanwhile, um, Andre, as encouraging his father's mercilessness, which really means um, love, a wisdom over love, imbalance in uh, not not cutting the guy a break or not giving him a second chance or enforcing the contract rigidly leading to the impoverishment of the of his family that was considered a fault on dr. Luis or Andres fault on Andres side and and so what may be what may seem right to us to take a hard line from a higher perspective with greater love 
would be seen as distorted wrong action. And this is actually very <clears throat> serious because um, the message, the training here is uh, forgive those who, who wrong you. Love your enemy, just like Jesus said, right? Love your enemy, <clears throat> the one who screws you. <laughs> and, you know, Silvera is no saint either. And so maybe Silvera, uh, or in certain cases, um, could could be seen to have wronged Dr. Louise's father by not upholding the contract or promising something he couldn't deliver. And that may be the reason he got his own uh, impoverishment of the family after. Meanwhile, uh, the higher teaching here is, it seems to me, to me, seems to be to me something like um, love and hold and forgiveness or, or ask for forgiveness, those that you take a hard line against even when they may have screwed you. And uh, there's, it, you know, people talk about don't blame the victim, like uh, don't say Silvera deserved it karmically, deserved his family's impoverishment. Well, karmic law, or under, my understanding of karma, is that, yeah, he deserved that, while still uh, Dr. Luis Andre's father, who's now in the lower zone, suffering even more, and Dr. Luis, who's not, but has this uh, encounter seen as a distortion or a fault, uh, uh, could be seen as, uh, you know, enforcing the law <clears throat> or doing right action, yet uh, they fail too uh, to to bring adequate love, compassion into the decision process or the con consideration or, you know, Dr. Andres looking in on what his father was doing, uh, done with with, without enough love. And... Uh, you know, this is just something to take into mind because we who are seeking love, wisdom, balance may easily err on the wisdom side and um, live or make decisions with deficiency of love uh, and feel uh, I'm doing the right thing, this is the right response, when actually um, there's some heart blockage and you see, this is um, <clears throat> these things are very difficult, and the people, the teaching in the in the astral city is not the last word, and our opinions are not <laughs> the last word. Meaning, uh, what is the best way? Well, I don't know. <laughs> We're just trying to find it out, and so it's it's similar to the girl whose boyfriend uh, got together with her friend after she died and was said to not have manifest illumined love or perfect love by what not being celibate for the rest of his life in loyalty to the girl who died is that what he should have done is that illumined love well they didn't really say more about it was that right action that the guy missed? Meanwhile, the girl was vain and selfish. And understandably, he wouldn't be loyal to her memory for the rest of his life celibate. So what? He failed on illumined love, but she didn't necessarily deserve it anyway. And in this case, Silvera, who 
you know, has his own karmic basis for becoming impoverished later, was treated with inadequate love by Dr. Andre's father and himself, um, maybe that was perfect too. But still, um, hard-heartedness is a problem. Um, we do our best in our decision process, and hard-heartedness is a problem. Meanwhile, um, can it be said to be wrong that Dr. Louis Andre's father took a hard line to this guy, Silvera? You think Silvera was a saint in his past lives too with money? Well, maybe he screwed people too, and that's why he became impoverished. That is the normal karmic root of poverty, which is <coughs> lack of generosity and um, financial um, you know, robbery, a kind of stealing is the basis of, of, of poverty. So it, th there's, uh, there's much more that could be examined here, but surely um, hard-heartedness is no good. And then um, meeting his mother, and I know I'm at the end of this, my time here, uh, the value of giving rather than taking, the value of work as a tonic for the soul, and that's something, you know, work doing all the good you can um, rather than be self-centered or seek diversion and endless, you know, wasting of time or, you know, letting the mind uh, run around without production, without product, you know, not a productive way. So, um, the making good use of our time. But that doesn't exclude rest time or play time or downtime. So these are all principles that we can keep learning from, and yet their um, administration, their execution into daily life as these principles that we're learning in mind translate into activity of speech and behavior, decisions in speech and act physical action. Um, need to be very personalized and yet uh, with an eye to not d distorting our understanding of the principle and just simply doing our best and realizing that we're really still learning and uh, in the future we'll look back and see that we, we're immature today compared to where we'll be in the future. Uh, so uh, no kind of rigidity in understanding is, is we've got to get out of rigidity for sure. And things are much more subtle than, than they appear. So anyway, Brent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I would only add, too, that I think it was interesting uh, in the second chapter um, on Chapter 36 um, how uh, he described that he was well aware uh, when he was traveling to the higher realm to visit his mother, that he was well aware that he had left his heavier body in, in the room in the chambers of rectification right. and was conscious of being in a higher sphere. Right. Now, interestingly, many people, of course, here talk about lucid dreaming and feeling like they are on an astral plane or traveling while they're dreaming, uh, leaving their heavier body. And right. here he is in right. an astral body, right. making the same comment. You know, feeling right. okay. You know, I'm aware that I left my. So he's his his body is getting <coughs> even tighter as to 
right. his mother's realm. Right. And I thought that was an interesting observation. It was very subtle how they just dropped that in there and without making any extra comment on it, right? <laughs> right, right. The, yeah. the, the, the astral form um, used in, at the level of Nosolar is indeed heavier than the form used in the higher astral planes or wherever his mother is. Yes, and yes, so, exactly. And, yeah. and that lightness is goes both ways to greater uh, radiant light, luminosity, light, as well as um, reduced mass or a sense of weight and gravity, gravity bound, um, like flying, like, you know, the difference between being air and being a rock. Uh, so both of those uh, continue to um, the evolution is continuing sublimation becoming more and more sublime more and more yes. subtle as we go up yes. yeah exactly. okay so okay we'll move on we'll just do this one chapter chapter 37 Veranda's lecture and then stop afterwards this is on page 163 uh, just for those that are following along, in the middle of that page, there's quite a bit of information about um, Andre questioning um, the information his mother gave him about the hour bonuses and what it all means and how it's all calculated. And in the interest of time, I'm going to skip all that information because it's covered in other areas uh, and just go right to the lecture because there's a lot of important information in the lecture. So from the top. All through my work the following day, I looked forward to Veneranda's lecture, which was scheduled to take place after the evening prayers. And knowing that I needed permission to attend, I sought out Tobias. These talks, he said, are only attended by truly earnest spirits. You may go along with the hundreds of workers and patients of the Ministries of Regeneration and Assistance. I trust you will profit by it, he added encouragingly. At the hour appointed for the lecture following the evening prayer, Narcissa, Celestius, and I made our way to a large natural hall. The hall was a wonder of shades of green, and we sat on comfortable benches formed from the vegetation. Narcissa explained, we are seated with the regular audience. The brothers in the special seats are the most advanced students on the subject to be covered this evening. Um, the governor, she, uh, she continued, established the procedure in all classes and lectures in the different ministries to keep them from being converted into futile discussions of unfounded personal beliefs. She had hardly finished speaking when Veneranda entered the hall, accompanied by two women of distinguished bearing, who, Narcissa informed me, were ministers of communication. Every face lit up with joy at the sight of Veneranda who looked nothing like the old lady her name seemed to imply. She appeared to me to be noble, simple, and unaffected. She began by saying, As usual, our short meeting does not allow for long bursts of eloquence. I am here to talk to you about certain thought processes. Among us tonight are a few hundred listeners who are still surprised about the similarity of forms on the physical plane and in our spirit sphere. They have learned that thought is the universal language and have been told that mental creation is the most important factor in spirit life. We must not forget that up to now, while in the physical body, we have lived in circles of antagonistic vibrations. Thought is the basis 
of all spiritual relations. But we must keep in mind that we are millions of souls in the universe, still far from perfect obedience to universal laws. We are millions of entities living in the undisciplined inferior worlds of our ego. The great instructors of physical mankind teach divine principles and expound eternal truths, but our earthly life, in our earthly life, we generally learn these laws without obeying them. We acknowledge these truths without concentrating or consecrating our lives to them. A hundred years on the planet represent much too short a period of training for us to become divine cooperators. During our earthly apprenticeship, we learn the principles of mental force, but forget that for thousands of years we have used our thought energies to form destructive mental creations, or at best, creations harmful to ourselves. We follow courses of spiritualization in the various religious schools of the world, yet with most of us, it is frequently a question of mere verbal adherence of lip service and nothing else. The Bible teaches us that the Lord of life himself did not stop with the word, but put his creative work into action. We all know that thought is an essential force, but we overlook the fact that we have misused that force over centuries. We all know that it is man's duty to provide for his own children. Likewise, each spirit is compelled to maintain and nourish his own creations. A criminal idea will produce mental creations of the same nature. A lofty principle will observe the same laws. Let me illustrate the fact that with a more, obju a more objective example. After rising to great heights, water is purified and carries vigorous vital fluids returning as the vivifying dew and generous rains. Keep it on earth, mixed with the impurities on the soil, and it will become a foul mire, a habitat for destructive microorganisms. Thought is a living force everywhere. It is the creative atmosphere involving the father and his children, the cause and effects in the universal home. Through it, men become either angels on their way to heaven or devilish fiends on the road to hell. Have you grasped the importance of this? Of course, evolved minds, both disincarnate and incarnate, may communicate mentally without any need for form. Thought is, in itself, the basis of all the mind's silent messages within the marvelous planes of intuition shared by beings of all kinds. Within this principle of spirit, who has been only in France, can communicate mind to mind with one in Brazil, regardless of language barriers. The language will always be that of the receiver. This, of course, depends on perfect attunement. However, we are not yet in the spheres of mental purity where all creatures are perfectly attuned to one another. Here we attune to one another in isolated groups and are compelled to carry on the transitory tasks of the planet so that we may return to it with a higher degree of efficiency. Therefore, the astral city as a transitory spirit colony is a great blessing granted us as an additional mercy in order that a few may prepare themselves to rise to higher spheres and the majority may return to earth on redeeming missions. I beg you, my friends, let us all realize the importance of the processes of the mind and live up to them from now on. Who is willing to try, she said as she smiled to the audience after a long pause. 
Then, without any preparatory phrases or gestures, she closed her talk with a question. What? Is the lecture over already? Andre asked, surprised to see the audience rising to leave. That's Veneranda's way, the nurse answered with a smile. She always finishes her talks when the listeners are the most enthusiastic. She likes to say that the lessons of the gospel began with Jesus, but no one knows when and how they will end. That's the end of the chapter. Scott, what do you think? Uh, yeah, very deep stuff. So Astral City as a transitory spirit colony uh, for a few who seem to be harvestable or capable of going to higher levels of the astral, whether it's higher levels of the astral or harvest to 4D positive, we don't know. But most likely it's harvestability. So that there are some people there, like maybe the ministers, 72 and some others, who mm -hmm. are there as a way station on their way out of their density, while the majority is, uh, is there on their way back to 3D space-time. The importance of mind and how thought is the primary creator. And <clears throat> like in Buddhism, you know, there's thought, word, and deed. Uh, and the root of karmic formation uh, is thought, yet it leads to a word and physical behavior or deed. And uh, paying attention to thought is critical, and that's really a level of Buddhism that um, I personally still need lots and lots of work on, which is not controlling thought, but uh, increasingly harmonizing thought with green, blue, indigo, with truth and um, unconditional love and awareness of unity perfection. And I think we all have that same process of working to do. Uh, <clears throat> the um, challenge, of course, is how to work with distorted thought. Uh, certainly, restraint of speech, restraint of harmful speech and action uh, is good. Uh, sometimes restraint, you know, restraint is, uh, needs moderation, too. In the movie uh, Shangri-La, or um, actually there was another title to it, I forgot, but <clears throat> from the 1930s, I watched it again. Very deep movie, actually. Uh, the old elder there is saying, you know, our, our uh, credo is moderation in all things, including moderation in moderation. <clears throat> and um, basically kindness and patience. And um, we're all still learning. Uh, sometimes it's okay, I think, to give vent to distorted thought, certainly within the mind. Sometimes it's okay to not restrain, um, but it's critical to be aware that we're uh, in distortion when we are, even if we maintain it for a while. Uh, and as she said, and the last thing I'll say here is that, yes, it's critical to not simply uh, pay lip service to eternal truths that we know intellectually, but continue to endeavor to uh, put them into practice. <laughs> And that may <clears throat> indeed include things like um, uh, cutting a break for a wrongdoer or giving, bringing mercy to somebody who's, who's wronged us or, or um, done harm. Yet, again, you know, um, it's important to trust one's own 
um, sense of how to be, one's own guidance, uh, knowing that one may also be committing some karmic, you know, uh, liability, and yet um, it seems I I ought to go. I I I would rather go my own way or do it my own way here, rather than what uh, restrain myself or do something that just doesn't seem right, even if it seems to be higher. So. These are all very subtle matters, right? Yes, very good, very good. Yeah, that was very important. I, I enjoyed that. That was a beautiful lecture that she did, and um, yeah, I thought it was important to share that part for sure. Um, and as as just one chapter broken down, and the and the fact that you know she said thought is a living force everywhere. I mean, it's um, you know it's uh, it's important to remember definitely. Um, okay, the next ones we're going to do, we're going to do chapter 38 and 39 back to back because they deal with the same topic, and we'll just get through them. I do, we're going to, um, they are cut down somewhat for those that are following along on page 168, and um, we'll pick it up from the top here. Um, chapter 38, Tobias's Home. On my third day in the chambers of rectification, Tobias delighted me with a pleasant surprise. After work, when the night attendants had taken over, I was taken to his home, where moments of instructive entertainment awaited me. When we arrived, he introduced me to two women, one already elderly, with the other approaching middle-aged. He explained that the first was his sister, and the second his wife, Lucien, uh, Lucien and Hilda, both gracious and affable, welcomed me cordially. We gathered in library where I noticed beautifully bound books, all works of great spiritual value. Hilda invited me under the garden to see some delicately shaded arbors. Each residence in the astral city seemed to specialize in raising certain flowers. An intoxicating fragrance floated in the air. I couldn't put my admiration fully into words. Luciana called us back into the house for a light meal. My friend Andre here is a newcomer to our ministry and probably doesn't know my family background yet, Tobias said. In fact, there are several families similar to ours here. You see, I was married twice, he added, pointing to both ladies good-humoredly. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I stammered, extremely confused. You mean that both Hilda and Luciana shared your experiences on Earth? Exactly, he answered calmly. There are millions of people on Earth who have twice made sacred marriage vows, how would we resolve such a delicate, sentimental problem in the face of spiritual survival? We know that physical death merely transforms without destroying, and that spirit ties continue unbroken throughout infinity. How to proceed then? Condemn the man or woman for marrying more than once? We would find millions of creatures in the same circumstance. But how can we cope with such a problem, Andre asked, very simply. We know that between the irrational animal and the rational man, there are a series of gradational positions. Likewise, between ourselves and the angels, there is a great distance to travel. Therefore, how could we aspire to the company of such angelic beings if we aren't even fraternal with each other? Of course, there are strong-hearted travelers who, in a supreme effort of the will, face and surpass each obstacle they meet. The majority, however, can't do without vigils <clears throat> or the charitable help of devoted guides. Because of this truth, cases of this nature are settled through genuine brotherhood. 
keeping in mind that true marriage, a union of souls, can never be broken. Luciana, who had kept silent, joined in. However, it's only fair to add that we owe our present condition of happiness and comprehension to Hilda's spirit of love and self-denial. But Tobias's wife protested with humble dignity. Oh, please, don't bestow virtues on me which I don't possess. But so that our guest might learn from my painful apprenticeship, I'll try to summarize our story. Tobias and I were married while still very young. In deference to the sacred spirit affinity we felt, I don't think it meant that. I don't think it necessary to describe the happiness of two souls who, united by real love, are joined in the holy vows of matrimony. Death, however, seemed jealous of our great bliss and ended my physical life when our second child was born. Our grief was indescribable. Tobias wept hopelessly while I felt incapable of controlling my own despair. On the sa Oh, the sad days I spent in the lower zone stubbornly clutching to my husband and two children, deaf to all exhortations sent me by my spirit friends. I wanted to fight like a mother hen defending her nest, yet I realized that Tobias had to reorganize the home and that the children were badly in need of maternal care. My sister-in-law, who was single, couldn't stand the children, and the cook only feigned dedication to them. The two young nurses were unreliable girls, incapable of assuming any serious responsibilities. Faced with that unbearable situation, Tobias could no longer put off an urgent decision, and one year after my death, he married Luciana. If you only knew how I fought against it, I was like a wounded tiger. In my ignorance, I went as far as to struggle against the poor girl trying to kill her. It was then that Jesus, in his great mercy, granted me the the providential visit of my maternal grandmother, who had passed over so many years before. I was greatly surprised to see her arriving somewhat casually, as if for no special purpose. She sat down and drew me to her lap, just as she used to when I was a child. She asked tearfully, Well now, my grandchild, what is your role in life? Are you a lioness or a soul conscious of God? Don't you see that our sister Luciana acts as a mother to your children? keeps your house, tends your garden, and puts up with your husband's moods? Do you think she isn't good enough to become his temporary companion in the struggles of life? Is this the way to show your gratitude for divine benevolence and reward those who serve you? Do you want to accept Luciana as a slave, but despise her as a sister? Throwing my arms around my grandmother's neck, I cried my heart out. I abandoned my old home in her company and came to serve in this blessed spirit colony. Luciana came as one of my daughters, and I began to devote all my energies to serious studies and to the moral improvement of my inner self. Tobias raised another family, which also became mine, by sacred spirit bonds. I tried to help everyone in my old home, without exception. In time, Tobias came to join me here, and finally, to our great joy, Luciana also arrived. This, my friend, is our story. But Hilda didn't tell you how much she had to go through to teach me with her example, added Luciana. Thanks to Jesus and to Hilda, I learned that there are different kinds of marriages. Those of love, <clears throat> fraternal motives, of tests, and of duty. The day Hilda granted me forgiveness with a fraternal kiss, I felt that my heart broke away from the monster of jealousy. Spiritual matrimony forges a bond of souls while others, even, even though sacred, 
are merely covenants of duty needed for the readjustment of past errors of fulfillment of redeeming processes. And so we organized our new home based on true brotherhood, Tobias added. How are marriages made here? I asked, availing myself of a pause. Through vibratory combination, Tobias explained kindly, or to make it clearer, by perfect attunement. But what is Luciana's position exactly? Andre asked. When I married Tobias, a widower, I should have known that our union would probably be fraternal. Yet it cost me much suffering to understand that. In fact, it's only logical to conclude that when a couple suffers from restlessness, incomprehension, and sadness, their marriage is only a physical union, not a spiritual bond. Don't worry, Luciana is already spiritually betrothed. Her companion of many earthly existences returned to the physical sphere a few years ago, and she'll follow him next year. I think the happy meeting will be in Sao Paulo. We all smiled joyfully. At that moment, Tobias was called to the Chamber of Rectification to attend to a serious case. Thus, our pleasant talk came to an abrupt end. Now, going on to continue with this uh, train of thought, chapter 39, consulting Laura, Tobias's case made a deep impression on me. The memory of his home, organized according to new principles of brotherly union, haunted my mind. I could not see myself as capable of worrying my dear Zelia so much, nor would I accept such an imposition on her part. I decided to pay Lysias a visit in my leisure time in order to consult Laura, whom I trusted as a mother. I told her what was troubling me. You were right in coming to, to discuss this question with me. The solution of any soul-searching problem requires friendly cooperation. Tobias's case is but one example of countless similar arrangements here and in other spiritually evolved communities. But it does shock our feelings, doesn't it, Andre remarked? We must now consider, above all, principles of a spiritual nature. Since we have to undergo a long period of animal existence, we cannot expect to get rid of it all of a sudden. We take centuries to emerge from the lower stratum. Sex is one of the most misunderstood of divine faculties. Thus, it won't be easy for you to grasp the evolved aspect of the domestic organization you visited yesterday. You may be sure that great happiness reigns there, though the atmosphere of comprehension between the performers of the earthly drama. It isn't everyone who succeeds in substituting bonds of light for chains of darkness in such a short time. But is that the general rule, Andre asked? Do you all... Do all men and women married more than once recognize their home here to include all those with whom they may have formed affectionate ties? Don't jump to conclusions. <clears throat> Slowly, Laura continued, uh, many feel affection but have no affinity. You must bear in mind that vibratory conditions are far more important here than on earth. Whoever does not conform to the law of fraternity and mutual respect will automatically be barred from crossing those frontiers. The somber regions of the shadowy zone are crowded with entities that failed in similar trials. As long as they go on hating, they remain as unsteady compass needles moved by every antagonistic influence. Likewise, if they don't understand the truth, they succumb to the domination of falsehoods and are unable to enter the zones of superior spiritual activities. Countless are those who suffer for long years without spiritual relief, 
only because they will not conform to the laws of legitimate fraternity. What happens then, Andre asked? Where do they live? After truly infernal torments of their own inferior creation, she continued, they return to the physical sphere to begin again the lesson they wouldn't learn in the spiritual plane. Divine mercy grants them new bodies and complete oblivion of the past. They will then receive through blood ties those they deliberately shunned out of hate or incomprehension. We can, we can appreciate Jesus' exhortations when he advised us to seek immediate reconciliation of our adversaries. We should follow this advice for our own good. Those who know how to use their time wisely can on closing their earthly career attain lofty spirit conditions with an untroubled conscience. Even though they may have to return to the flesh, their burden of trials and tribulations will be considerably lighter. Many spirits will spend centuries trying to overcome bitter feelings of hatred and resentment during their earthly sojourn, only to revert to them again on re-entering the spirit world. The problem of forgiveness, according to Jesus, is extremely serious and cannot be accomplished merely with lip service. Andre remarked, The experience of marriage is very sacred to me. To spirits still undergoing simple animal experiences, our conversation must be devoid of all interest. But we, who have already learned the importance of illumination with Christ, must take into due consideration not only the experience of matrimony, but also all sexual experience, as it greatly affects the life of the soul, Laura added. Remembering my past, and as an ordinary man, I could not help blushing. Wherever the task of readjusting wrongs is common to all, there must be room for a great brotherly understanding and a deep respect for the divine mercy that offers us so many opportunities to work out our amends. For the creature who has already acquired some spiritual enlightenment, every sexual experience assumes an unsuspected significance. This is why no truly redeeming mission can be fulfilled without legitimate brotherly understanding. Just a short time ago, I heard a highly evolved instructor in the Ministry of Elevation declared that were he able, he would materialize himself on the physical plane to teach the representatives of religious denominations in general that to be divine, all charity must be based on human brotherhood. I returned to the chamber's rectification immersed in deep thought, Andre added. I was filled with a profound awe at the all-embracing <clears throat> issue of human fraternity. Scott? What do you think about those two chapters? Yeah, well, there's a lot to say, but we don't have the time. Um, fraternity is basically brotherly love, but, you know, it's a little bit uh, mistaken, I think, to apply that word to uh, male-female relations, because, uh, what, they're two brothers? Well, if gender is, you know, apparently real, then no, it's not quite two brothers. So another word for uh, brotherhood or fraternity is called friendship. <laughs> true friendship, true care, true friendly heart, heart, heartful care. That's it. Well, uh, charity must be based on friendship. Well, <laughs> means charity should be real. And uh, what's happening here is that um, the woman who died um, with her, uh, Tobias, there are two of these women, uh, and both of them were married to Tobias, and <clears throat> the woman who uh, is older, died earlier, uh, became a hungry ghost, actually, became an earthbound spirit, 
and had a lot of hate. And it's not just sorrow, it's hate, becoming angry tiger. This is just a cute way of saying that she hated the fact that another woman was taking her place. That hate keeps us bound. And hate is more associated with lower realms of hell, or that suffering lower zone. And desire is more associated with earthbound spirit condition. She had some of both. Uh, <clears throat> what's what's I think interesting, as you and I talked about on 172, is the four types of marriages, love, fraternal motives, which really just means friendly care. You know, the fraternal, this, is, this book is written 80 years ago or something, so some mm -hmm. of the terminology just doesn't fit my our thinking today. You know, I'm fraternal, you know, to uh, to my girlfriend. This is a little weird. So perhaps it just means caring, <laughs> friend, friendly, sincere friendship. Uh, so there's love, which is really romantic and emotionally charged. Uh, what I said was 2-4 in terms of chakra. Uh, relations fraternal which is really for two or less emotional than simply uh, warm care caring but without hot passion and um, you know this falling in love experience and then tests and duty and it was um, clearly spoken here that whenever there is conflict in a relationship then one should assume that it's not going to be love and it's really more of tests and duty. Tests means, you know, duty is a testing too. And so these are kind of inter interrelated. But testing would be particular, the, the arising of multiple specific challenges in the course of the relationship. Duty is more particularly the testing of perseverance, meaning can you hold on uh, long term? the uh, couple in which a spouse is disabled and has to live in a disabled way for years. Um, you know, he's bedridden, she has the choice of putting him in a home or keeping him at home, <clears throat> spending their money <clears throat> for his um, long-term hospice, or throwing him off into some facility and taking the money and having fun. So, the the testing of working through a specific challenge and then the testing of long-term perseverance in duty, which is really, I'm not going to give it up. I'm not so happy here. Uh, we don't have what I really want. Uh, I have a soulmate somewhere else. Um, this is far from ideal, but um, we have care or we don't have care in some cases but it's the wrong thing to leave. There are children or there's some other need to stay or recognized value in staying and one uh, does one's duty and stays. And the <clears throat> other dynamic which is you know the view from 80 years old 80 years ago about uh, polygamy or multiple sexual partnership uh, meaning they're both living with him, uh, has a very different, you know, sense for us more modern modern folks, perhaps. But actually, uh, jealousy <laughs> and possessiveness is alive and well today, just as it was then in more conservative Christian country, Brazil. 
And uh, Ra talked about that the service to others aspect of sexuality is generally unrecognized uh, in human earth human culture. Of course, obviously. People don't get involved thinking, I want to help you, or um, let's, let's be sexual and loving uh, for mutual benefit, but more like I want you, or I want you to be mine, or I want to get pleasure, or, you know, domination, or anything that's more distorted. Uh, but you can see that, again, as a transitional position in the astral, no solar... Um, is a meeting place for distorted human tendencies and the retention of certain forms and cultural tendencies like marriage or a home, you know, living in a house. In higher dimensions, they don't have a house, you know. It's, things are very different. The environment is, is configured by mind, by light, in, in a different way. And um, the lower and the higher, uh, while they're being given spiritual teaching to help them either uh, learn the lessons back when they come back to space-time or prepare for um, a higher uh, sphere of, of existence. So anyway, it's all very interesting. Brent? Yeah, very good. I, um, yeah, that was excellent. Thank you. Um, I think... Um, um, yeah, I don't really have much to add. I, I agree with everything that you said. Um, um, I myself was um, touched by the four different types of marriage, you know, um, and actually in my, it made me reflect on my past. <laughs> I realized that uh, a couple of those uh, I may have been involved with in, the, in my past, that's for sure. So, But it was kind of interesting um, that they verified all that. For me, um, and um, anyway, okay, let's move along then and wrap this up. We'll just do this last chapter um, that um, has to do with um, some lessons Andre's about to learn. Um, chapter forty: As you sow, so shall you reap. On page one seventy-seven, I didn't know how to explain my wish to visit the women's department of the Chambers of Rectification. Nevertheless, I spoke to Narcissa about it, and she immediately offered to take me there. When the Father summons us to a certain place, she said kindly, surely there is some work awaiting us there. Each situation in life has a desired end. Remember to watch for this principle in apparently casual visits. As long as our thoughts are turned to the practice of good, it won't be difficult to identify divine suggestions. The same day she and I went to find Nemesia, the prestigious superintendent of the women's department. In the ward, I saw rows of women in immaculately well-kept beds, all of them pitiful human wrecks. Here and there, I heard heart-rending cries and agonizing exclamations. Amicia, radiating the same kindness as Narcissa, welcomed me cordially. Narcissa, will you please show our brother all the different sections that you can, that, that you think may be educational for him. The ward is open to you. On our way, we began discussing human vanity, always inclined to physical pleasures, and recalling observations and teachings on the subject. We reached Pavilion 7, where I saw rows of women lying in a long line of beds, each set equally distant from the others. I was studying their faces when one caught my eye. Who could this woman with that particular embittered face be? She looked prematurely old and worn. 
her lips twitching with frustrated expression of irony and resignation. Her eyes were dim and sorrowful, and her sight seemed to be defective. In a few moments, I remembered her from my past. It was Alicia. Uh, the name uh, uh, Alicia had, I had known in my youth, the same Alicia I had known in my youth. Suffering had changed her, but there was no doubt in my mind. I perfectly remember the day an old friend of my mother's brought the poor girl to our house to enter our service. At first, there was nothing unusual in our relationship, but gradually we forgot ourselves. Abusing the relationship between one who orders and one who serves, we grew more and more intimate. Elisa seemed to be frivolous and thoughtless, and when we were alone, she often referred to her earlier irresponsible adventures, breaking down the last barriers of self-restraint between us. One day, my mother called me to account. Such intimacy, she exhorted, was not good. It was, it was quite right to be kind and generous to the maid, but our relationship should stay within wise limits. It was too late, though. We had already gone beyond those limits, and so Elisa, lacking the courage to accuse me to my face, left our home. Time passed, and the episode receded in my memory to a mere incident in my life. And here was Elisa before me, downtrodden and humbled. Where had that wretched creature lived who so early in life had experienced such sufferings? Where had she come from? I was nervous and put to shame by the accusing reminiscences and, like a child anxious to be forgiven for wrongdoing, I turned to Narcissa for guidance. I opened my heart to the kindly nurse who seemed, by the way she looked at me, to understand everything. Narcissa said, I fully realize your moral torture from my own personal experience. However, you mustn't indulge in destructive thoughts. Since the Lord has granted you the opportunity of meeting this sister, it must be because he thinks it's time to repay your debt. Don't be afraid, she said, sensing my indecision. Go to her and try to comfort her. Remember, brother, that we always find the fruits of the good or the evil we have sown. This statement isn't a mere doctrinal phrase. It's a universal reality. Blessed are the debtors who are ready to pay. Go on, but don't tell her who you are for the moment. Leave that for later when you have already managed to help her. It won't be difficult if she will continue to be almost blind for some time yet. By her aura, I can classify the poor thing as one of those unfortunate fallen women and defeated mothers. We approached Elisa's bed, and I began to speak comfortingly to her. She told us her name and said she had been brought to the chambers three months ago. You must have suffered a great deal, Elisa. Was yours an unhappy life? Painful experiences are, are, are always eloquent examples, Andre replied. Um, I wasted my life, as do all those reckless women who exchange the blessed bread of work for the venomous gall of illusion. When I went into service in the home of a well-to-do businessman, he had a son who, who was as young as I, there, my life underwent a great change. An undue intimacy gradually developed between his son and myself between, uh, until, at last, all reaction on my part would have been useless. I forgot that God never denies work to those who wish to live worthily and gave myself up to a series of painful experiences which I needn't relate. I tasted the good things of life, material comfort, luxury, pleasures, and gay company, but they were soon followed by self-hatred, venereal diseases, 
hospitalization, abandonment, and disillusion. In the end came blindness and physical death. In great despair, I wandered for a long time until one day I prayed so fervently to the Blessed Virgin that, for her sake, some heavenly messengers rescued me and brought me here to this generous house of assistance. And who was that man that made you so unhappy, Andre asked, moved to tears. Andre, Andre says, I heard my name and, and that of my parents and anxiously asked her whether she hated him. All through my past suffering, I cursed him with mortal hatred. But Sister Nemesia has changed me. I realize now that to hate him, I should have to hate myself. For in my case, the blame must be shared between us. So I mustn't reproach anyone. Touched by her humility, I took her hand. Listen, my friend, I said with strong emotion, my name is also Andre, and I want to help you. From now on, you may count on me. I'll do all I can for you. She said, and your voice, she remarked ingenuously, is like his. Up to now, I went on. I, I haven't had, up, up to now, I went on. I haven't had a family, so to speak, here in the astral city. So you will be my dear sister and can rely on my devoted friendship. Oh, how grateful I am to you, she exclaimed, drying her eyes, which lit up with a radiant smile. It's such a long time since I heard a kind voice comfort me with affectionate words. May Jesus bless you. At that moment, as my tears fell abundantly, Narcissa, in a motherly gesture, took both my hands and repeated Elisa's words, May Jesus bless you. Scott, that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, well, it's very heavy. Um, basically, uh, she enters um, sexual relationship with him as the son of his father in the household where she was a housekeeper or helper. She then became a prostitute, it seems, and perhaps died of syphilis, and because um, she went blind by venereal disease, it seems. Uh, this is the uh, subtlety of uh, karmic process, um, uh, past and present, past in space-time, present in Nosolar, uh, in which um, he, uh, in which they share blame or both could be seen as worthy of reproach, um, yet she's taught not to get stuck in reproach. She, you know, when we um, err and do something that's harmful, because in a certain way, he sort of abused his position as son of the son of her employer. And yet... Uh, so while he bears responsibility for doing that, uh, crossing a line from, you know, care to what? Sexual involvement. Uh, but I assume that um, there was some power imbalance or exploitation going on, so it seems, where he would share the rebu rebuke. Meanwhile, she has the responsibility of agreeing to it, uh, to the extent that she um, that she was re mistreated by him, she also shares responsibility for having put him in her life or the karmic setup in which uh, she found, you know, uh, an exploiting son in her work, but then uh, handled it by choosing to get involved. Then... Uh, he's not responsible for her decisions after that, she is, 
she uh, basically sold her body for luxury, you know, or sold her herself as a sexual, you know, doing being as a prostitute for um, wealth and you know men of wealth. I don't know luxury and material, uh, you know, material pleasure or something like that. And now regrets that terribly and sees how she basically, you know, didn't seek work, didn't, didn't, um, she wanted an easy way to income, uh, yet it was very, it was uh, not self-respecting. And I think my, as an aside, I think that's often the case with any kind of prostitution where um, it's an easy way to make money. Physically easy, uh, sort of, I guess. But um, what about self-respect, and what about conscience? And normally, people involved in that um, don't like themselves, or are not happy with themselves doing what they're doing, even though they're making money, a lot of money maybe, and living a high life, sort of, for a while, in a way. Uh, she um, is responsible, therefore, for what happened after, yet she was a good soul, she was a good heart, and I'm not sure if she actually went to the lower zones or not after death, because, you know, um, hurting oneself is not, is karmically dissimilar from hurting others. It's similar, but the karmic um, outcome could be quite different. Uh, she may not have even been that attached to either the sexual or the material uh, gains of that lifestyle or that that work. Uh, and uh, both of them, you know, she and Andre, um, may have had some real uh, affection and caring as well. Where his fault was is not so clear. But there was, I guess it's exploiting a power dynamic. Um, and she herself was more, um, her fault is more later in life, uh, seeking uh, a certain kind of material well-being or luxury um, in a wrong way or in a self-harming way. And yet she wasn't harming other she didn't end up going to hell, it seems. Uh, she prayed, and um, she got out of... She may have died... Um, she may have f helped facilitate her own death, uh, this wandering in great despair. She wandered. It's not clear if that's after death or, or before. Um, and yet, she was a good heart or a good soul. And so... Um, the uh, her even her cursing cursed him with mortal hatred uh, wasn't um, deeply hateful as much let's say as the woman who seems to become an earthbound spirit for a while cursing her husband or the new woman who was in his life so um, again uh, mind mind um, leads karmic formation and that includes um, the after-death placement in terms of whether a soul will be so full of desire and or hate 
that they're earthbound or so full of hate that they go to a lower zone or not so full of hate not so full of desire that uh, they suffer but don't but can come quickly to that mid mid-level astrals astral city so it's all very complicated but it's an interesting story anything you want to say on that brent yeah, I think I, yeah, I do agree with you. I, I think she did curse Andre um, after what she had said, but then she she did say after she passed, uh, keeping in mind, of course, that she probably did did die of syphilis and she was blind and she's still blind. So I assume that she was blind when she was wandering. She did say that he wandered for a long time uh, until the day that she prayed and then was uh, rescued. Um, but um, I think, uh, to me, it would make sense that it was probably, what do you think, probably in the upper edges of the lower zones. Here she is, she's wandering, angry and blind. Um, but, you know, she can't um, from her own suffering. So it was probably what, in a upper level of hell, um, pur- purgatory, or maybe, maybe similar to where Andre found himself, you think? Uh, I'm, she might have wandered physically on Earth. <laughs> so oh, she could have been. A, yeah, she could have been. The, it's, you know, it could have been a rescue from an astral purgatory. It could have been a rescue from simply blindness, uh, abandonment, and her deep sorrow during the life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she may have prayed mm-hmm. herself to death or prayed, please help me die, while she was mm-hmm. still incarnate wandering or wandering doesn't necessarily even mean physical so it may have been or not it's hard to say right so but again you were looking at um the countless um variety of mind states uh that then lead to sequential after death placement or incarnation you know not incarnate but but placement let's say astral after death appearance uh, it's very, you know, where one goes uh, initially is not where one stays after death, but where one goes initially is uh, completely the product of the integration of all of one's mental process and behavior and deed. And uh, it's, uh, even though there are realms um, where there's collective experience like the lower zone or astral, uh, everybody has their own approach, and each realm represents a particular portion of the spectrum of consciousness. And the 3D realms, or Kamaloka, whether it's hell, astral, or wandering ghost, uh, earthbound spirit, astral, or no solar, astral, or upper astral, um, are all I would say the uh, represent some particular um, block of wavelengths or a, a wavelength spectrum, a portion of the spectrum of, of wavelength associated with particularly lower triad blockage and um, more or less involvement of green, blue, indigo, and the more. One's thought and deed is influenced by honesty and care and love. Um, the better the after-death experience, even in the astral, would be. So, Brent, anything else, and then we close up here. Yeah, we can close up. Um, I'd just like to thank everybody for joining us again. And next, uh, well, in two weeks, we'll do uh, 
chapters 41 through 43. Skip 44 because we've done that. We did that in class two, and then do 45 and 46. A total of five chapters. Good. Yeah, and next time at 41, we'll look more into um, relations with the Earth plane in the late 1930s. Uh, yes, exactly. In the 1940s, uh, moving into World War II. Yes, so, that'll be an interesting, an interesting class for sure. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, so thank you everybody for being here. Thank you, Brent, for the reading. And um, it's gone long today. Uh, we might divide it into two talks. We'll see. But um, thank you again. I hope it's been instructive. Uh, please take good care of yourselves and good night. <laughs>